according to the slide, it's on page 226, and the Bible's here on the end of the pews. 226 in the White Bibles. If you don't have one, please take that with you. It is a gift from us to you. So once you get to Nehemiah 4, would you please stand? We're going to read the entire chapter. I'm not going to be reading it in such a good tone as it was read last week um, when we had Dan so wonderfully play Max McLean's voice. I tried to mimic it, uh, and it just didn't turn out well. It did not turn out well. Sarah gave me the throat slashing sign really quick. So, Nehemiah 4. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn one, and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not overlook their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, 
And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you are great and awesome. And what a wonderful way you have given us, your children, to to gather together in worship of you. And Lord, I pray now for these next few moments that you would be at work in our hearts and in our minds by the washing of your word and by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that this sermon, that this time together would be uh, of great encouragement to one another, that we would strengthen one one another's faiths. And Lord, I pray that you, would, um, that you would be made much of today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, for the past month and a half, we have been preaching through the book of Nehemiah. And in that amount of time, in just three small chapters, we have gone through quite an engaging set of events. In chapter 1, Pastor Garrison taught us that the story of Nehemiah begins with him receiving news that the wall around Jerusalem was broken down and the gates were burned up. And upon hearing that news, he breaks down and weeps and becomes persistent in prayer to the Lord for an opportunity to be a part of bringing back the restoration of the city of God, Jerusalem. In chapter 2, it begins with a fascinating conversation between Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes. We learned that Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer, has his prayer answered by the sovereign God of the universe and is given permission by the king to go back and rebuild the wall of the city of Jerusalem. And then in the second half of chapter 2, Nehemiah arrives at the walls of Jerusalem and goes out to inspect it and to assess the damage. And while doing so, he encounters opposition from Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And even though he faces this opposition before the people even start rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah perseveres in the work that God has called him to. And then last week, in the midst of this narrative, in the midst of this story, Pastor Dan preached on the snapshot that is chapter 3 and guided us through this list of a participating community and their particular mission of rebuilding the wall. And this week we pick the story back up from chapter 2 and chapter 4 and see yet again that Nehemiah and the Jews are facing an ever-increasing and angry opposition. Well, if you are like me, and grew up during the late 90s and early 2000s, you'll remember that a lot of the top movies from that day were either historical fiction or true historical stories that had been changed so much by Hollywood that they may as well have been fiction. 
The movies that I'm talking about are Braveheart, Gladiator, We Were Soldiers, Saving Private Ryan, Kingdom of Heaven, and King Arthur. And I'm sure that there are many more. But my favorite, my personal favorite, was Gladiator. Probably the most enduring and most memorable, however, was Braveheart. And if you don't know the story of Braveheart, specifically the movie, Braveheart is a story about the 13th century warrior, William Wallace, who led the Scots in the first war of Scottish independence against King Edward I in England. Mel Gibson, who plays William Wallace, won Best Director, uh, the Best uh, Oscar for Director, and then also the picture won Best Picture that year. The movie, though far from historically, historically accurate, follows the life of Wallace through a series of encounters with the English and sets into motion the fight for freedom and to regain Scottish independence from England. The ruling English come into Scotland and force their rule and reign onto the Scottish people, taking their land, their livelihoods, and their freedoms. Wallace and the Scots are being ruled by outsiders and being opposed by surrounding countries. We find a similar picture here in chapter 4 of the book of Nehemiah. Israel, once a great nation, is now in captivity and under the rule of the Persian Empire. And like in chapter 2, Nehemiah and the Jews, who are now in the middle of building the wall, face an ever-increasing, ever-more-dangerous opposition to carrying out the will of God. And I want to walk through chapter 4 by using this big idea. In the face of raging opposition, God's people remember the Lord and resume His work. In the face of raging opposition, God's people remember the Lord and resume His work. And we'll use three points to build our frame. First is going to be raging nations. Second, remembering the Lord. And lastly, resume the work. Raging nations, remember the Lord and resume the work. So let's begin by looking at the raging nations. We rejoin Nehemiah's narrative by revisiting a few characters that we've met already in chapter 2, Sanballat and Tobiah. Now, this is in verse 1. Now, when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angrily, angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. These two guys pick right up where they left off. But this time, and in particular, Sanballat, their anger is increased and their words are aimed much more directly at the work of the people. First, we see here their anger. The work of the people of God carrying out the mission of God has greatly angered Sanballat. His emotions go from being despising of Nehemiah and being displeased with the plan to rebuild the wall to becoming angry and greatly enraged once the wall starts to be built. So much so that he mocks them openly in front of Tobiah and the Samaritan army. Look at these taunts that he hurls at them. He calls them feeble Jews. Will they restore it, that meaning, meaning the wall? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? 
Well, they revived the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that. Sanballat is not holding back. He is going directly after the strength of the Jews, the skill, their, their skill in rebuilding the wall, the material they are using, and the reason that they are rebuilding the wall. And just for good measure, Tobiah says that if a fox were to climb on it, then it would come crumbling down. Again, just totally tearing down the Jews' ability to do anything concerning construction. The work of the Jews is really, really bothering this group. That Nehemiah wouldn't stand down after their initial taunts and jeers drives them to rage. And this reminds me of Psalm 2, where the psalmist says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. In Nehemiah 4, we have the governor of Syria, Sanballat, and an Ammonite, Tobiah, and later in verse 7, we see Arabs and Ashdodites coming together to set themselves against the Lord and his people. Do you ever find yourself in the place of the Jews? Do you ever face anger and derision when you are fulfilling the mission of God? Where does it come from? Maybe it's in conversation with somebody at a coffee shop. Or maybe it takes place when you're telling a coworker what you did over the weekend. Maybe it happens when you are doing service for a neighbor and they ask you, why on earth would you be serving me? Or maybe it comes in the form of a social media troll after you post an article, a video, or a Bible verse on your page. No matter what it is, it's if, if we are carrying out the will of God in our lives as Christians, then at some time or another, we have faced or will face someone who gets enraged at us because of our faith. How do we respond in those moments and in those days follow, following those interactions? Well, let's look and see how Nehemiah responds once these taunts get back to him. He responds with prayer. He prays. This is a little bit different from his response in chapter 2. There he responds to Sanballat and Tobiah directly after their jeers towards him. This time his response is directed towards God in a prayer for justice. Hear what he says. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover up their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Nehemiah's prayer is interesting because of the type of prayer that it is. It's not a prayer that you and I normally would pray. And this type of prayer is known as an imprecatory prayer or In more layman's terms, a prayer for God's justice and judgment to come against his enemies. And we see these mostly in the Psalms. Which is exactly where Nehemiah would have learned to pray. We find an example in Psalm 69, 24. Pour out your indignation upon them 
and let your burning anger overtake them. And then 27 and 28 adds, Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Nehemiah is praying that God would turn all Sanballat and Tobias' taunts back on them and that they would receive judgment and justice for trying to provoke the Jews into giving up. He is asking for God to give justice to those who are trying to carry out his will. Is it wrong for the church to pray imprecatory psalms towards people today? I mean, we pray for justice all the time, but do we pray for it in this same language that Nehemiah uses? Well, I would say, no, it's not wrong for the church to use imprecatory psalms to pray today, but I would say here are a couple short responses to back that up. First, just like here in Nehemiah, prayers like this are directed to God's sovereignty, his justice, and his response. Nehemiah didn't send in a special forces unit to take down these nations. Instead, he relied upon the sovereign Lord to carry out his justice. Like Nehemiah, we can respond in kind, not going out and taking matters into our own hands, but trusting in God to dole out his justice as he wills. And then secondly, and again reflected in Nehemiah, our purpose as the church is to carry out the mission of God. As Dan so wonderfully explained what that mission was last week in pointing to Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission. To add on top of that, William Ross wrote an article in the Gospel Coalition where he he says that our mission is to care for souls as we take the gospel to all nations. We aim to expand and feed the flock, not eradicate anything that isn't sheep. We need to use caution when we pray these psalms. We need to make sure that we are praying for God's justice and God's will to be done. So Nehemiah prays and the Jews continue to build the wall. They had a desire to work, to see the wall completed because in verse 6, we see that the wall gets built up to half its height and they're starting to close some of the breaches. It says that they had a mind to work. It just simply means that they they really, really were wanting to get this done, that they had a a desire to see this completed. And the raging nations thought that mocking and jeering would stop the Jews, but they were wrong. It didn't. So they went a step further, which brings us to our second point, remembering or remember the Lord. The news that the Jews were not deterred by mocking and jeering from Sanballat and Tobiah only made them angrier. In fact, they build up from an intense anger and mocking in verses 1 to 4 to then plotting in verses 7, 8, and 11. Sanballat and Tobiah reach out to others around them to plot against the Jews as they build the wall. They get with the Arabs to the south of Jerusalem the Ammonites to the east, the Ashdodites to the west, and possibly even the Samaritans in the north. 
Their plot is to surround the city of Jerusalem on all sides and attack, causing confusion and possibly even death among the people of God. Look at verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it. And what's interesting is the reaction of the Jews, because in verse 6 we see that they had a mind to work, that they had a desire to see the work completed. But their reaction in verses 10 and following is not something that we may have thought after reading a, a, a verse like that. It says, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So they're losing strength. The work seems overwhelming. There's not enough of them to complete the task. They fear the plot of their enemies. Look, they, they said that the Jews that lived outside of the walls came and from all, all directions and said to us ten times. And when the Bible says something like ten times, it doesn't just mean ten times. It means they came and said it a lot. You must return to us. Get out of Jerusalem because there's danger coming. And you know what they're doing? They're forgetting. They're forgetting what God has done for them and is doing for them. They are forgetting what God has done. I mean, all they have to do is turn and look at the wall and see that it's built up and that the Lord has protected them this far and that he is allowing them to carry out their, his mission in the way that they are. They're forgetting that. But they're also forgetting the promises from the past. The Lord, through the prophets, promised that Jerusalem would be rebuilt and that the people of God would once again inhabit it. And here, the, the Jews are hearing this news and fearing and forgetting. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he, he doesn't forget. He remembers. Nehemiah remembers and he rallies the people together. And what does he do? It's almost as if we're in a Braveheart-type movie situation where Nehemiah lines up all of the clans of the Jews right in front of him below the gate or below the wall. And then it says, Nehemiah, I arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He reminds them of what God has already done. He points them to what God is doing in them. He is there to help the failing faith of the Jews to remember the continuation of God's work. And what are things that you can recall that the Lord has done for you when you are looking opposition in the face. Recall the peace that was granted to you while your child was sick in the hospital. Remember the joy that was given in the midst of some of the darkest days you've ever experienced. 
remember that as a child of God, you have a loving Father who will never leave you or never forget you, even when you are at your loneliest. Remember that he has promised in his word and through his son, Jesus, that you are a child of his. Remember, remember, remember. Remember the Lord. Remember the greatness of the Lord. And then it is when the people of God remember who and what the Lord has done that they are able to resume the work. Resume the work. In verse 15, it says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. So God frustrates the plan of the enemy. We don't know any more than that. They heard that the Jews were ready for an attack and they backed down. God answers Nehemiah's prayer yet again and from verses 4 and 5. And from there, the Jews go back to their portion of the wall and go back to the work. But this time, it's a little bit different. This time, the people are armed and ready for an attack. Verses 16 through 18 says that half men held spears and shields, bows and coats of mail, and the other half worked on construction. And then, then you see Nehemiah organizing the people of Judah. And so now you have the leaders behind all of the people and those who were carrying things. They're, they're now carrying a spear or a sword in one hand and carrying whatever material in the other. Can you imagine trying to lift a heavy stone with one hand while you're carrying a spear? And then those who were, who were receiving the materials and building the wall well, they, they now have a sword strapped to their side. They're ready. They're ready for an attack at any time. But then it says that Nehemiah has a trumpeter. And if you can imagine this wall that's spread throughout Jerusalem, all around Jerusalem, there are different people, as we saw from last week, in different portions of the wall building. So you can imagine that the people are spread very thin. And so Nehemiah has a trumpeter and says in verse 20, In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And Nehemiah has them organized and ready in case of an attack, but also keeps them working to complete God's mission. Isn't it interesting that verse 20 ends with Nehemiah saying, our God will fight for us. And verse 21 begins with, so we labored at the work. Nehemiah knows and claims the sovereignty and might of God, but knows that that doesn't mean the Jews are just to stand around and do nothing. They are to continue to participate in the mission of God while being prepared for an attack from their enemy. Now, could God have just said to these stones, rise up and build the wall? Yes, he could. He's God. But he doesn't. He 
allows people to enter in to participate in his mission with him. And how are we, church, to be prepared for an attack from our enemy? Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians six ten through 18. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you probably know this is a very famous passage, the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And Paul writes to the Ephesians saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strong of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. So, Christian, we may not be facing the Ammonites and the Samaritans and the Arabs and the Ashdodites, who, who do we face? What enemy ultimately are we facing? Well, Paul gives us that answer. It's not against flesh and blood that we wrestle, but against the rulers and the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our enemies, our ultimate enemy, is a spiritual enemy. Therefore, we need spiritual armor for spiritual battle to be ready to fight off the enemy. And why, why is this important for us as Christians? Why is this important that we would stand firm, battle ready? Well, these attacks are surprise attacks. Sometimes we don't know that they're coming. Something in our life just springs up out of the blue. And we need to be ready. And how do we do that? How do we stay ready? Well, in in verse 10, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. This is not our strength. This is not our might that we are fighting with, that we are standing firm in. Because if it was, we would come crashing down. We would fail. But if we stand in the might and power of God and put on his armor, if we put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes that has the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
We are to stand firm, therefore, in the power and might of God. Verse 20 is as true for us today as it was for the Jews in Nehemiah's situation. Our God will fight for us. It is more than just a rallying cry. It is a reality for all of God's people. He has fought for us and has won the victory. And in Braveheart, William Wallace never delivers freedom and independence that he had longed to bring to Scotland. In fact, he is caught by the English and put to death before that takes place. Actually, the freedom of Scotland is delivered by another, Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce, who is later made the king of the Scots, defeats the English army and gains the freedom of the Scottish people. And like William Wallace, Nehemiah is also unable to deliver full freedom for the Jews. While it may seem as if they are living in a post-exilic Jerusalem, they're not. And we'll get to this in chapter 13, but while they may have been free to live in their city and worship their God as they wanted, in chapter 13 it shows that they still fall back into their old ways of not following the law, not keeping the Sabbath holy. I mean, and, and Nehemiah, We see him beating people and pulling out their hair. The guy who was sent is failing himself. Nehemiah failed to bring the kingdom of God back to the people of God. But there is one who came after him who did. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, God in the flesh, came down to earth to achieve the ultimate victory a victory over sin and death that would not just be for the Jews, but to all who believe. Our God will fight for us, and he did so in the most unusual way. Instead of riding into Jerusalem on a mighty war horse, he came riding on a donkey. Instead of being raised up and seated on the throne, he was raised up on a cross of wood. It was there that he fought for us against our enemies, sin and death. It was there that Christ achieved the victory that we could not. And if we are in Christ, that victory is ours as well. We have been freed from sin and been given new life in him. And we get to celebrate that victory in the next few moments when we participate in the Lord's Supper, Christ's body broken for us, Christ's blood shed for us, those things have purchased our lives. Those things have purchased our freedom. Let's take a few moments for a time of silent reflection.